reading from the book of Acts, starting with verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, was crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh will also dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness in your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on the throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, did not his, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from his Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Let me pray for us again. Our Father in heaven, open our eyes to see the risen Christ in the pages of your word now. And Lord, as we see him, let our hearts worship him as we should. And in Jesus' name, I pray and I ask it. Amen. My question for you this morning, a question that I, I like to ask every year, is what does the resurrection of Jesus mean? What does the resurrection of Jesus mean? You know, we, we argue about key events in history and their significance, even just as, as an American people. But how much more does the resurrection of Jesus Christ matter for each and every one of us? How much more should we have a clear sense of exactly what it means for each of us? I think when we consider the, the other holidays that we gather for, like Christmas, we have a, a clearer sense of why Jesus was born as a baby, so that he could ultimately save mankind. The eternal Son of God needed to take on flesh and blood so that he could die for us on our behalf. And so he was born so that he could be our Redeemer, our Savior. We have a clear sense of why he died on the cross. The scripture says that he died the righteous for the unrighteous so that he could bring us to God so that our sin could be paid for. So we, so we understand the birth of Christ. 
We understand the death of Christ. But in American Christianity, at least partly in my experience, the resurrection almost seems like a nice fairy tale ending tacked on to more significant events in the life of Christ. It almost seems like an afterthought, and we're glad that it's a happy ending. Christians talk a lot about how our sins are paid for by the blood of Jesus on the cross, and we should. The cross is the greatest expression of God's love. Apart from the cross, we would have no idea the magnitude of God's love for each and every one of us. That he was willing to sacrifice his only son on behalf of people who were rebels and sinners. People like me and people like you. And so it's not wrong that we focus on the cross. But the story does not end at the cross. And I think sometimes we miss exactly what God has to say to each of us through the resurrection of Jesus. And while it's good that we love to decorate with lilies and wear fine clothes, and perhaps we have a sense at this time of year of springtime and new life, purple crocuses break through the ground and give you the assurance that winter will not last forever. You hear birds chirping in the morning and and all of those are great and wonderful things and remind us of new life. There's a sense that we anticipate that new life at Easter time and perhaps we tie that in with the resurrection of Christ. But non-Christians all over the world celebrate springtime. Many don't care at all about the resurrection of Christ. Which means... That there's more significance than just things being made new seasonally. The question I'd like to answer from the pages of scripture this morning is, what makes the resurrection of Christ such an awesome and incredible thing? Because I think if we're honest, it's actually a very difficult question to answer. And in the way that I answer it this morning, looking at scripture, I'm only going to give one answer, but there are more, and I would encourage you to dig into the scriptures and find them. The reason I want to focus on just one is I believe if we don't think about the reason for the resurrection with great clarity, that we will not worship Jesus the way we should. And I want to encourage you and call you to worship the Lord Jesus with me this morning. We will not live for him as we should, unless we recognize where he is and what he is doing now after his resurrection. And so my prayer for each and every one of you, before we even arrived here this morning, was that as we look to the scriptures to answer the question, why does the resurrection matter? That your admiration for Christ would grow. Even if you've known the Lord Jesus for 70 years, that because you've looked at his word this morning, you would admire him more, that you would love him more. And that if you don't know him today as your savior and as your Lord, that because of what you've seen in the pages of scripture, that the Holy Spirit would work in your heart this morning and you would fall at his feet and worship him just like so many did so long ago when they saw the risen Christ for the very first time. I asked Alan to read that passage from Acts chapter 2 because Peter in his sermon that he's preaching to a bunch of people that that don't understand what's happening shows us in brief 
the significance of the resurrection. And I want to spend the rest of our time this morning delving in to what Peter's answer about the resurrection means. What Peter did in that that message, in the passage that Alan just read, is he described how God raised Jesus from the dead and how Jesus is currently exalted at the right hand of God. Peter ends his message with this statement. He says, God has made Jesus both Lord and Christ. God has made Jesus both Lord and Christ. And it seems that that happens as a result of the resurrection. This is a stunning and a strange statement. We may think of both of those titles, Lord and Christ, almost as being like names for Jesus. Jesus in his earthly ministry, if you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, he has been called Lord for his entire ministry. And Peter had clearly declared that Jesus was the Christ even before Jesus went to the cross. And Jesus said that Peter was absolutely right in his understanding and assessment. But now, after the resurrection, Peter says this curious thing, that God made Jesus Lord and Christ by the resurrection. That before God the Father exalted Jesus, that in some sense, he was not Lord or Christ in the fullness of each of those roles. For Peter and for the other apostles who had followed Christ and lived with him and heard his teaching, they had seen him work miracles, they'd seen him walk on water, they'd seen him raise the dead. But when they saw him rise from the dead, everything changed. And when Peter and the other apostles received the power of the Holy Spirit, they began to tell everyone, because Jesus was both Lord and Christ, that they needed to repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. Because Jesus is the Christ, and he is declared to be the Christ by the resurrection. So the motivation for baptism and repentance is the victory of the resurrection. And that might sound really strange. And maybe it seems like lousy motivation because it's so unclear. When have you ever heard a pastor or someone else say, you need to repent and be baptized because Jesus rose from the dead? I've never heard someone say that. But that's exactly what Peter says. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified both Lord and Christ. And so there was an urgency that the people who were listening that day, over 2,000 years ago, that they would repent and be baptized. And I believe the same urgency exists for us today, not only because of the cross, but precisely because of the resurrection And if that seems unclear this morning, what I would like to do is to take a look at a letter by the Apostle Paul and hopefully make that a little bit more clear. So by looking at the scriptures, I would like to ask God to make it clearer to us 
what it means for Jesus to be both Lord and Christ. And I think it's worth pausing one more time and asking for the help of the Holy Spirit as we look at the scriptures carefully and intently. And so bow with me again and let's pray. Father, by the Holy Spirit, you inspired these words. And apart from your Holy Spirit, we have no ability to understand them or to love them or to obey them. And so I ask that you would let me preach with clarity. And I ask that you would open our hearts now to receive your word so that it takes root in our hearts, so that it comes alive, so that we love it, and so that we obey it, so that we worship Jesus as our Lord in Christ. And I pray this in the name of the Savior Jesus. Amen. So a short while after Peter preached his message in Acts chapter 2 that Alan read, Jesus appeared to a man named Saul. And Saul's life was completely transformed. Up until that point, he had hated Jesus and all of Jesus' followers. Saul was a very religious man. And he did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. And so as he saw people following Jesus, he believed that they were turning away from God. And so in an effort to stop that, he heavily persecuted believers in Jesus. He threw them in jail. He saw some of them killed. And he devoted his life to stopping what he thought was a terrible lie. And all of that changed when Jesus appeared to him in a vision and called him as an apostle. As someone who would go and proclaim the news that Jesus died for our sins and rose from the dead. And Saul changed from being someone who hated Jesus to being someone who loved Jesus and would give up everything for Jesus. And he devoted his entire life to spreading the good news of Jesus. So Jesus himself, right after the resurrection, tells his apostles that they are to tell people in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and all over the world who he is and what he's done, that he died for our sins and that he rose from the dead. And then as he appears to Paul, he tells Paul, you are going to go farther than any other apostle. You are going to ensure that this message, that Jesus died for our sins and rose from the dead, goes global. And so Paul wrote a letter to a church in Rome that he had never visited. It's one of the greatest books in the entire Bible. I would encourage you to read it repeatedly over and over because in it you see so clearly the wisdom of God and the love of God displayed through the work of Christ. This morning, Paul says something so significant about the resurrection in the first seven verses. I think it will help us see what it means exactly that Jesus is both Lord and Christ. So we began with Peter saying clearly that God in power raised Jesus from the dead and made him both Lord and Christ. Now we're looking at the Apostle Paul who says something so similar about what the resurrection does as he continues to spread this message globally. So if you have a Bible, I would urge you to find the book of Romans. I'll show you just to gauge. If you, a great method of finding books is just to flip until you find the book. It's always in bold at the top. It's most of the way through the Bible. Find Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans is the next book. There are 16 chapters. And I would encourage you, if you didn't bring a Bible with you this morning, you can either use a phone 
or there are several Bibles underneath the seats here in the sanctuary, I'd encourage you to open one of those. I believe that by seeing the things in Scripture, it will help you to know that I'm not making anything up, that I am speaking directly from the Word of God. And so this morning, I'm just going to begin by reading the first three verses, and what I want to show you is the promised gospel. The promised gospel. That is, Paul did not invent his message. God had promised the gospel thousands of years before Paul was ever born or called and set apart by Christ. So look at the verse, three verses with me. Paul says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was descended from David, according to the flesh. The promised gospel. Now the word gospel, it's a a word you hear a lot. You hear it in in gospel music, and kind of have a sense of what it means, Christian music. People throw it around all the time, and you see it a lot in the New Testament. The word simply means good news. Good news. So, so you can imagine, when we turn on the news, it's never good. So we, we can't refer to anything that you see on TV or, or read on the internet as, as gospel. We just see news. But gospel is good news. Think about the excitement that a monarchy would experience at the birth of a new king. And they would send out a herald that would tell everyone. Maybe they'd even set off fireworks. They would let everyone know the good news that a baby was born to the royal family. In some sense, that's what we celebrate at Christmas. That's gospel. That's good news. It's news that's so significant that you need to know it. And people urgently and quickly spread it far and wide. When the Bible uses the word gospel, it always refers to the good news about Jesus in particular. And Paul says that he as an apostle, apostle just means he was sent out like an ambassador, he is set apart for the gospel, the good news of God, which God promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Now, I believe that the whole Bible is about Jesus. So when Paul says that the gospel was promised beforehand through the prophets, prophets are people that spoke for God. They are people that had a message from God and gave it to other people. Paul says God promised the gospel through the prophets in the Holy Scriptures. So all of the Bible from Genesis all the way to Revelation proclaims the good news of Jesus. Everything in this book points to Christ. When Paul says the gospel was promised beforehand in the Holy Scriptures, I'm going to give you part of what he means. But if you read the Bible beginning at the end and go all the way... Beginning at the beginning, not at the end. If you read the Bible beginning in Genesis and go all the way through to the end, you will find Christ on almost every page. Maybe every page. But I'm going to give you three points that are so significant that demonstrate what Paul is saying. That all of the Bible leads up to this amazing point. And what Paul talks about here in just a minute is not the cross, it's the resurrection. So number one, 
all the way back at the beginning of human history, when humans committed their very first sin, our relationship with God was broken. That's why death enters the world. That's why we get sick. That's why our bodies age. That's why we die. That's why people do terrible things to each other, even to people they think they love. Sin has poisoned God's good creation. But almost immediately, as sin entered the world and death came through sin and there were immediate and horrible consequences, God made this promise that there would come a Savior. You can read it, Genesis 3.15. Someone born of woman would crush the head of Satan, the deceiver. And that promise made thousands of years before Christ was speaking about Jesus. That's the promised good news that Paul preached. God promised this all the way back in the Garden of Eden, that one day, someone was going to come and crush the head of Satan. And Paul went around the world telling people, Jesus just did that. Later, still in Genesis, God made a promise to a man named Abraham. He said, Abraham, through you, All the nations of the world will be blessed. God loves all people all the way around the world. God is the only God. He is God in Israel. He is God in Iraq. He's God in Egypt, Somalia, Sri Lanka, England, China, Australia, the Philippines, Mexico, and America. And the blessing that he promised to Abraham was for the whole world. World, that promise made 2,000 years before Christ was speaking about Jesus. And then, as Abraham's family grew into the nation of Israel, God blessed them with King David, a man after God's own heart. And when I say that, please know David was not perfect, he did some terrible things. But what David knew was how to repent. And in grief, to seek God and plead his mercy and find forgiveness. David was a man who saw incredible victories as he served the Lord. And David's heart wanted to build a temple for God. He wanted to build a place where people could come and pray. They could bring their sacrifices and find assurance of forgiveness for sin. They could pray about some of their deepest needs. David's heart was he wanted God to be at the center of the world. And as he planned to build a temple, God told him, no, you will not build me a house. Because David was a man with blood on his hands. He was a king that went out in war. And so God said, you're not fit to build my house. You've shed blood. But God gave David this promise. He said, I will establish one of your sons forever. And God said, he will be my son, and his throne will be established, and his kingdom will never end. It's a staggering promise. One day there will be a king who will not die, and he will rule on David's throne. It's so specific. And that promise, given over a thousand years before Christ, was speaking about Jesus. And there are hundreds of additional references to Jesus all through the Old Testament. We could talk about Isaiah prophesying not only about Jesus' suffering and death, but also about his resurrection. Peter quoted 
a psalm earlier that talked about how God would not allow the Holy One to see decay. So David prophesied about the resurrection 1,500 years before Christ. Paul summarizes the entire Old Testament up just in these words. The gospel of God was promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh. The whole Bible speaks to this precious promise. Jesus, the physical son of David, heir to the promises of God, is so much more than an earthly king. Now look at verse 4 with me, and this is the heart of our message. Verse 4 says, He was declared to be the Son of God in power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by His resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Earthly coronations are a big deal. But for Jesus' coronation, there could be nothing more magnificent or powerful establishing Him forever than raising him from the dead. If you can't kill him, who can challenge him? Notice carefully, though, what Paul says that the resurrection proclaimed. Look again with me at verse 4. It says that he was declared to be the Son of God, and then at the end of the verse, he uses those two titles that the Apostle Peter used. He is Christ, he is Our Lord. Paul says that the resurrection proclaimed that Jesus is the Son of God, that He is Lord, and that He is Christ. Now, I think most of us would agree this morning the title Son of God means that Jesus is God. He shares the divine nature with the Father fully and completely. The Apostle John begins his gospel saying that. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And all things were made through Him, and apart from Him, nothing was made that has been made. If all things were made through Jesus, Jesus was not created. He is eternal. And later, John says that the Word became flesh and dwelled among us. That the eternal Son of God was born a little baby. But in the beginning, he was with the Father before the world was made. But Paul means something more specific than that Jesus shares the divine nature of the Father when he says that the resurrection proclaimed Jesus to be the Son of God. And so to to give you a clear sense of exactly what Paul means, I want to read you Psalm chapter 2. Psalm chapter 2 is a text that they would have used in ancient Israel for coronations as as a new king was crowned. And yet it uses language that can only be truly applied to Jesus Christ. And so when Paul says that Jesus was declared in power to be the Son of God, this is what he means. All of the things that we will read in just a moment are true of Christ And God has said authoritatively that Jesus is this king by raising him from the dead. 
So Psalm chapter 2 says this, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. But he who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath, terrifying them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron, and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. And blessed are all who take refuge in him. This is truly the Son of God. Hebrews reminds us, That to the Son, God the Father said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And in the resurrection, God the Father is declaring that Jesus is this King. You can think about all the nations that currently rage. You can think about our own wars that have been going on for so many years that seem to have no hope and no end. You can think about terrible countries that oppress their people, that allow horrible abuses to happen. You can read history and all of the blood and the violence and the abuse. And then you can look at the Son of God and know that under His authority, it will all come to an end. When you read Psalm 2 and the question is, why do the nations rage? The answer is because they don't know that the king is on the throne yet. But one day, they will. There are two things that Psalm 2 probably makes you wonder almost immediately. One is that if Jesus Christ is this king, and if Jesus Christ has this power... And if God the Father has said he will subdue all the enemies of Christ, and blessed are all who put their trust in him, why are we not experiencing blessing now? And why do the nations continue to rage? Why do you turn on the news and none of it's good? And I want to give you two answers to that briefly. The first is that Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God the Father now. There's one sense where he is this king in Psalm 2, perfectly and completely. And yet the Bible says that he is being patient before he comes in wrath to punish those who will not repent. The Bible says that God is not willing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. The crowning of King Jesus is amazing news for all who are oppressed, and it is terrifying news for everyone who is an oppressor. If you do not repent of your sins when you see Jesus, he will not be your savior, he will be your judge. And God, in his mercy and in his kindness, does not want you to perish. 
He does not want me to perish. And so in his kindness and in his mercy, God is exercising great patience, waiting for you and waiting for me to kneel down before Jesus and to say, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner, please forgive me. Jesus has not returned yet to rule with this kind of strength because he is patiently waiting. That's the first thing that I would say if you wonder why after this resurrection declaring him to be the king in power, Jesus has done nothing for 2,000 years. He's being patient. The second thing that I would say to you is he will do everything that is included in Psalm chapter 2. As Paul goes about the ancient world proclaiming the message of King Jesus, he warns people of coming judgment. He believes that Jesus will return in power, and the time to find forgiveness is now. It is today. When he declares that the coming king will put all things under his feet, he does so based on the resurrection of the dead. Because Jesus was raised by the Father, you can be completely assured that he will come back as this king. And you and I, we need to be ready. Now here's the thing. This is heavy. Psalm 2 talks about wrath. It warns people. Be ready for the return of Christ. Kiss the son lest he be angry because his wrath is terrible. Here's the thing that I don't want you to miss. Paul doesn't go around the ancient world sounding like a fire alarm. He's not screaming and crazy. Paul goes around proclaiming the good news of the gospel. He is full of incredible joy. He is full of incredible hope. As Paul preaches, he says that the gospel is good news for you and me because he is proclaiming peace with God. The Bible says that you and I, because of our sin, are born enemies of God. But the gospel is giving you hope of peace with your greatest enemy. That there is forgiveness through faith in the Son of God. So look at what Paul proclaims in verses 5 through 7. It says, through whom, in other words, through Jesus, we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Never forget that the love of God is proclaimed so loudly and clearly in the cross of Christ. Before God warns you of judgment, he says, I love you. And he shows the depth of his love by sacrificing his only son in your place and in my place. So Paul goes about proclaiming the radical love of God. And the undeniable power of the resurrection. And he does two things. He has two goals. He says he wants to bring about Verse 5, the obedience of faith. The obedience 
of faith. Paul is not interested in people paying lip service to King Jesus. In fact, no king wants citizens that are only sort of committed to him. Kings expect their citizens to follow their laws in obedience. And as Paul announces that Jesus is king, he is bringing good news of peace. Not so that you can settle this sin issue and go on and live your own life, but so that you can obey King Jesus who loves you and gave himself for you. And so Paul is saying, if you believe my message, you need to obey what Jesus says. You need to do what he says. You need to follow in obedience all of his commands. Crown him as king of your life. You are not in control. He is in control. The Bible says, if you are a believer, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. And the good news is, as you do that, you will find your deepest joy that is absolutely unshakable. Paul's desire was to bring about the obedience of faith, a life change that comes because you recognize Jesus is king and he is on the throne. The second thing that that he wants to bring about is the recognition that we belong to Jesus Christ. Verse 6, he says, if you are called by this gospel, and, and Paul is issuing an open invitation to anyone and everyone who will hear him, if you are called by this gospel, you are called to belong to Jesus Christ. So I have two questions for you today. Number one, do you currently belong to Jesus Christ? Do you belong to Jesus Christ? And number two, if you belong to Jesus Christ, are you walking with him in obedience? You may have never thought of Jesus as a king who is ruling and reigning. You may never have connected the resurrection with God's declaration that this is my son and you need to obey him. He is the final authority in your life. He is returning to rule and reign in power. Be ready for that. Get ready for it now. You may never have thought about Jesus being angry or needing to seek the forgiveness of your sins. If you don't know if you belong to Jesus, let me urge you that you need to be baptized. And I would say to you today, don't leave until you've talked to someone and said, I would like to be baptized. I would love to sit down with you and and talk to you and hear more about your faith. We'll baptize you next week if you want. But I would urge you, you can use that little thing in the bulletin, say, I I have interest in baptism. Drop it in a basket while you leave. We'll find it. But if you don't belong to Jesus, the way you say, I belong to Jesus, is you go through baptism. Baptism shows that Jesus died for you. That's why we take you under the water. It's a symbol of death. And it shows that because he rose again, you and I will also rise again. That's why, thank God, we bring you back out of the water. If you believe that Jesus is your king, you need to be baptized. That's how you publicly say, he is my king. My life is not my own. It belongs to the Lord Jesus. And if you need to do that today... Write it down. My phone number is in the bulletin. Text me, call me. I'm not going to embarrass you in this service right now. But be ready. Jesus could return before this message is end. 
Pray to him now. Ask for forgiveness for your sins. And begin to obey him by being baptized. If you already belong to Christ, but you've not been living for him, you've not been dedicated to worshiping the Lord Jesus, make sure that you're ready to see him face to face. You know, Jesus talked a fair amount about people that claimed to be his followers, and yet they never lived like it. And he said, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, and he'll say, depart from me, I never knew you. If you aren't living like a Christian, but you claim to be one, there's a good chance that you aren't one. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And if you have no desire to know what those commandments are from the word of God, and if you have no desire to live and walk in obedience, I would urge you today, check your heart, see if you really have believed that Jesus is your Savior. Because if you believe he's coming back, like Psalm 2 describes, in power and in glory, it'll change the way you live. And maybe as a believer this morning, you need to repent and say, Lord Jesus, I believe that you are the Christ You are the anointed one. That's what Christ means. You are the king. And I confess, I have not treated you as my king. I have continued to live as a rebel, even though I've asked for forgiveness for my sins. And you need to change today. Maybe you don't know what his commands are, and that can be the first thing you change. You can say, I'm going to be committed to knowing your word better so I know how to obey you. Maybe you're going to be committed to seeking him daily in his word. Maybe you'll be committed to attending church. Obey the Lord Jesus as your king if you claim him as your savior. Let's pray. In this moment, I want to give you a few minutes to just respond to the word that I've preached And I want to encourage you and remind you that the gospel that Paul preached was full of grace and peace. Grace means that we don't deserve it. You don't do good things so that God becomes pleased with you. You recognize that you deserve his judgment and yet in his mercy and kindness, instead he offers you forgiveness because Jesus bore your judgment on behalf of all humanity. And he offers peace So that as you come to God and recognize your sinfulness, you don't need to be afraid of him being angry with you, but instead he welcomes you like a father. And so I want to urge you in this moment to just talk to God. Confess your sin and find forgiveness and assurance. Be committed to obeying. If you need to be baptized, I would love to baptize you. But you've heard the word. Now make sure that you obey it. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the peace that your gospel proclaims. Lord, we don't deserve it. And you loved us while we were still sinners before we even asked for it. We are here to worship you because of your awesome love. Please, by the power of your Holy Spirit, help us to walk in obedience to the word that we've heard. And we will give you praise and glory and thank you for all of eternity for what you've done. In Jesus' name, amen.